Hello again, here are some more happiness highlights from Frederick Lenoir's Happiness, a Philosopher's Guide, chapters 16 through 18. Chapter 16, Individual Happiness and Collective Happiness. We prefer to be happy rather than sublime or saved, writes Pascal Bruckner in his critical essay on the modern pursuit of happiness. In his view, this began with the Enlightenment when Western modernity replaced the religious quest for the heavenly paradise with the search for earthly happiness. The earthly happiness is where I am, as Voltaire put it in his poem, Le Mondain, the man of society in 1736. But actually, the pursuit of happiness on earth considerably predates the birth of Christian theology. We find an expression of it in a narrative that goes back to the third millennium BC, the Epic of Gilgamesh, one of the most ancient texts of mankind. The story denounces the hubris inherent in the quest for immortality and emphasizes the importance of the quest here on earth for a happiness that lies within our grasp. This was also the emphasis of Aristotle, Epicurus, and the Stoics. It exists in the great Asian civilizations, India and China as well. It is the very essence of Buddhist teaching. While there is a difference between contemporary forms of the quest for happiness and those promoted by the ancients, this difference doesn't lie in the pursuit of individual happiness here and now, but in something else altogether, the separating of the individual and the individual good from the common good. The Stoics linked the happiness of the wise to their commitment and civic spirit. Spirituality and philosophy presuppose a common effort, a transmission, a form of mutual aid, and are essentially practiced within a group. The Buddhist Sangha, the spiritual leadership of Stoicism, the friendship of Epicureanism. And the Declaration of Independence in America was part of a larger project of collective happiness. The 18th and 19th centuries were borne along by an amazing belief in the progress of human societies that could be brought about by the exercise of reason, science, education, and law. The communists believed in a potentially ideal society for the coming of which they fought. From Dr. Schweitzer to the Abbe Pierre, socially concerned Christians were committed to improving the conditions of other human beings, and the hippies of the counterculture brandished the slogan, Peace and Love, on their banners. Consumerism, the quest for material comfort and social success, gave rise to a new form of individualism and marked a major break. The link between individual happiness and the common good were destroyed in modern societies, giving rise to a new form of narcissism, emphasizing personal success, egocentrism, indifference to others. The novels of Michel Welbeck contain an astute description of this narcissistic individualism. His characters are apathetic, egotistic, Frustrated, cynical, the adepts of a joyless hedonism and a disabused narcissism. The slogan of this type of individualism could be Après moi, le déluge. Though we crave ever more possessions, we're nonetheless aware of the limits and dangers of the mercantile logic that governs the world, but convinced that there's no point in working on behalf of everyone, we're caught in a deadly logic that transcends our grasp and forced to confront our fears and our impotence. All that's left is to give free rein to our instinctive desires in a sort of passive nihilism. This is unprecedented. However, although these forms of behavior still dominate, we have, for a good ten years or so, been witnessing the birth of a third individualist revolution, marked by ecological awareness and the rise of various solidarity initiatives around the world. The New Age meditator, solely concerned with improving his or her karma, is to a great extent already a thing of the past. 
These weak signals that are appearing throughout the world constitute a coherent alternative to the logic of destruction. Chapter 17, Can the Quest for Happiness Make Us Unhappy? Are modern people condemned to be happy and are thus made unhappy about not being happy? The obsession with happiness often thwarts happiness. Henceforth, the sacred has to be written in accordance with the grammar of the profane, giving rise to the asceticism of the broker who slaves away night and day to, in order to grow rich. The ultra-modern figure of the Puritan capitalist entrepreneur, the marathon runner, the sporty type who wants the gym, the parents who have to juggle demanding jobs, children, hobbies, and friends, and finally end up exhausted by their desire to do everything at the same time. Alain Ehrenberg has done work on the weariness of the self, showing that many of the forms of depression that currently affect Westerners, chronic fatigue, insomnia, anxiety, stress, indecision, are the price that needs to be paid for the twofold imperative of autonomy and self-fulfillment. Depression, veritable pathology of responsibility, is the symptom of the individual freed from all religious and social tutelage, who still aims to live up to the modern imperative to find self-realization. Depression and addiction are the two sides of the sovereign individual. However, should we abandon the quest to be happy? Does the correct attitude, if we're to obtain happiness, lie in expecting nothing, wishing for nothing, hoping for nothing, letting life go by without giving ourselves any aims or pursuing any ideal of any kind? David Hume notes that the great end of all human industry is the attainment of happiness. It's because we want to make progress to be happier that our lives improve and give us ever more satisfaction. The art of happiness consists entirely in not setting goals that are too high. Montaigne and the Taoist sages understood this clearly and expressed it well. We need to allow our attention to act effortlessly, never to confront a situation with the aim of forcing it, to be able both to act and not to act. In short, to hope for happiness and pursue it while being supple and patient without any excessive expectations, without stress, with hearts and minds in a state of constant openness. In chapter 18, From Desire to Boredom When Happiness is Impossible, the aim of natural selection is the survival of the species. I'm not sure I'd put it that way. Not the happiness of the individuals. But bear in mind what Darwin said, that the vigorous, the healthy, and the happy survive and multiply. This phenomenon is intensified by the fact that in order to ward off dangers more effectively, we become more aware of negative events. Dissatisfaction makes us strive constantly. For more and better things, this is how human beings have ceaselessly tried to improve their lot. This adaptive quality of noticing what dissatisfies us may well become an obstacle to happiness when we prove to be permanently dissatisfied. Lucretius, a follower of Epicurus, pointed out that new cravings always arise whenever we satisfy our desires. Schopenhauer shares Kant's skepticism as regards earthly happiness. We become blasé when our desires are satisfied. Life swings like a pendulum backwards and forwards between pain and ennui. For Schopenhauer, happiness is an inaccessible goal and can be enjoyed, albeit imperfectly, only in creative activity, which is an endless source of novelty for the artist. Unfortunately, or ultimately, it can be apprehended only negatively. We see that the best we can find in the world is a present without suffering that we can peaceably tolerate. Why not celebrate? What we call happiness, said Freud, in the strictest sense, comes from the preferably sudden satisfaction of needs which have been dammed up to a high degree. It's, it is from its nature only possible as an episodic phenomenon. Well, 
Just add more episodes. Hence the illusory character of happiness, according to these naysayers, Kant, Schopenhauer, Freud. But this definition gives short shrift to our mind's ability to leave this mode of operation and make us desire what is. When our minds are thus enlightened, they lead our willpower to love life as it is, not as we would wish it to be. This is the extraordinary challenge of wisdom, both in the East and West. Talk to you later.